So Psalm 23, one of the most beloved sections of God's Word. Uh, this Lent season, we're walking through week by week, uh, verse by verse, through this, uh, this beautiful psalm. And last week, we started off talking about how the word in the original language there, it's this word mismore, which describes something set to some, some music, instrumental music. This psalm is meant to be like a melody that rings in your mind and in your heart. And the melody that's meant to ring over and over in our minds and our hearts, this melody starting off with this idea that the Lord is, the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord takes care of his flock. And we talked about how there's something in human nature. There's something in us that recognizes we need a shepherd. We need someone to take care of us. Now, unfortunately, most of the people we look to to be shepherds in our world, most of the leaders don't do a great job. And uh, let's be honest, even if we had good ones, even if we had good shepherds, we, uh, like scripture says, like sheep have gone astray. But we thankfully have the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep, who has rescued his flocks. And uh, we now are right with God because of our shepherd. Today with our, our lesson, with our study, we're moving into verse 2 that talks about where this good shepherd of ours leads us. Verse 2 begins by saying, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now I'm back here where the pastures are and they're not all that green yet. Although, man, at this time of year they could be a lot whiter than they are. Um, but, you know, we're still early in the spring so they're not quite green, but you can see the big beautiful pasture area back here. Now, when I think of a pasture, and I've got a fair amount of experience of being around farming environments and so on, when I think of the pasture, I guess my, my big background is more on the dairy side of things. And when I think of the pasture, the pasture is kind of where you let, let them out to get some energy out, to go and to move around, to get some exercise, and then to eat, you know, the fresh grass and so on. That's typically what I think about when I think of a pasture. But the way this reads in Psalm 23 verse 2 is that, a pasture is less of an area for exercise, and the main point in verse 2 isn't even so much initially about the idea of getting, getting food. It's part of it, but when you think of the pasture in verse 2 of Psalm 23, think of a place more, more like this. So I'm here at a campsite at one of our local, uh, local state parks. And a campsite, of course, is a place that you come and you get here and you can kind of settle down and set up camp and it can be be your, your base and I was thinking you know and, and many of you know we love camping and we go we'll go on these trips and then once you get to your campsite it's kind of the ah you can settle in and rest here that's the idea in verse 2 of Psalm 23 because remember it starts off by saying he makes me lie down in green pastures the idea is that you don't have to keep traveling and looking for a place to to find your food you don't have to keep traveling and looking for, for a, a new spot. You've arrived. He leads you to a place where you can settle in and settle down, where you don't have to keep looking for food. You could kind of rest, enjoy the green pasture, rest right where you are. The green pasture is one picture of rest that this verse gives, but there's another one as well. The second half of verse 2 says that he leads me beside still waters or quiet waters depending on what translation you are are most familiar with and before we really digging into this verse this week for for our Lenten study I, I kind of I thought that the main idea here was that our, our shepherd leads us to a place where the waters are calm they're not raging and so the sheep can drink here and, and it definitely it does point us to the fact that our shepherd leads us to a place where the waters are calm and and so the sheep can drink here but the emphasis in this verse isn't so much 
first and foremost about having a place to drink water, but most literally it says that he leads us upon waters, a resting place. It's a place where you can drink water, and that makes it a place where you can rest. The sheep, the shepherd has led us, so it's not just can he, it's, it's not like there's this thing where now he just keeps leading us and the waters are, are rushing, the waters are rushing, and the waters are rushing, so you can't drink here, you can't drink here, you can't drink here. He leads us to a spot where you can settle down. The sheep are safe and able to drink from the waters. He leads you to a place where you don't have to search anymore. You can actually just, just kind of stay back here, stay right here at these waters, drink from these waters, and rest. Rest. I know, I know I need some rest. And I'm pretty sure you do too. We need rest for a number of reasons. We need rest, especially for, because we live right now in a time that's just, uh, man, people are chronically too busy. Let's be real. Like everyone is just so busy all the time. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, because whether you're young, you're busy, you get a little older, you're busy, you have kids, you're busy. And people tell me that, oh, I'm retired and I'm busier now than before I was retired. And just people are too busy. But we're also in need of rest because, you know, the last couple of years, we've, we've been through some stuff. And there's a lot going on in our world. And it wears on us mentally and emotionally. And it wears on us physically and even spiritually. We need rest. But we're also really in need of rest because, well, as sinful people, we tend to find, try to find what we need in all these places that don't actually satisfy us and don't actually give us rest. Sinful people, you know, we, we, we try to find things like our, our, our purpose in life and, and our meaning in life and in our work or in our relationships and the things that we do. We, we, and, and so we search and search and search and search. And the thing is, we never find it. We never get to the green pasture or the, the water. We might, might find a spot that seems like it for a bit, but it doesn't actually fulfill us the way it was meant to. Or we, we try to find our satisfaction in the things of this world, in, in, in whether it be stuff or whether it's experiences or whatever it is and we try to find it but the thing is those things don't really satisfy so we just keep searching and searching and searching and needing more and more and more and we even try to find our, our, our confidence in our identity and, and even sometimes our, we try to find our confidence in, in how we relate with God and in, in the things that we do you know, we, we, we try to feel good enough for people to love us. And we try to sometimes even feel good enough for God to love us. Like, we can know God loves us and Jesus died for us. And yet we can live like, well, I got to keep doing more. I got to make sure I'm doing enough to be a good enough Christian or whatever that means. But the problem is, you, you, you can't do enough. And so we strive and we strive and we strive. And we never get to that green pasture, that, that water that we can really settle down. At least when we're striving in ourselves to find that spot. But Psalm 23 tells us that we have a shepherd who leads us and makes us lay down in green pastures. He leads us upon waters, a resting place. He brings us rest. And here's how he does it. On Good Friday, he died on that cross. And do you remember why the religious leaders were so insistent that Jesus and the two robbers next to him need to be taken off the cross, off their crosses? It was because the Sabbath 
was about to begin. It begins at 6 o'clock Friday evening. The Sabbath is the day of rest where God celebrates what God has done and where God would have his people stop and celebrate what he has accomplished. See, Jesus on that cross did everything necessary for us to stop and rest and to celebrate that he has done it all for us. Because on that cross was the culmination of his life where he lived that perfect life we were meant to live, but don't. And then he laid it down on the cross so he could take the justice, absorb all the suffering, all the pain, all the punishment that our sins deserve, everything that comes with every wrong thing we've ever done. He paid for it there. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work is done. So that through faith in our Savior, we could have some real rest from our Father. We can know that when it comes to us and God, we are right with Him. There's nothing you need to do. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. And then on the Sabbath day, He rested. We can rest in Him. We can know that if we have the Savior who has done it all for us, and if we are right with the living God, the creator of all things, then we can know that we have an eternity with him ahead of us. And we can know if we have an eternity with him ahead of us, we can know that he is the one who provides everything we need now today. And not only does he provide, but he has used some very beautiful language to help us see that we can get everything we need in him. Jesus is the one who has said that he is living water. And when you drink from him, you thirst the more. Real satisfaction comes in him. He is the one who, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, he took the, the wine after, well, after supper, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from this. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. We can take of his of the bread and the wine, his body and his blood, and we can know that we are connected to the God of the universe and connected to each other as the body of Christ. We are the ones who are the sheep who have a shepherd who say, taste and see that the Lord is good. We have a shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures, who has led us upon waters, a resting place. We don't have to keep searching, searching, searching and all these other things. He did the work on the cross. It is finished. You can lie down in that green pasture. You can sit here at this quiet water, drink up, eat up, and rest in your shepherd, because of your shepherd, this season. Our third Latin reading from the Passion History takes place with Jesus' trial and Peter's denial. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials bound Jesus and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. 
I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus had said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is that any way to answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, speak up about it. But if I spoke the truth, why did you hit me? The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could have put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! Who hit you? And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. She saw, uh, when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. When Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was, was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. This ends our third uh, Passion History reading.